0: I'm just a poor wayfaring stranger, traveling through this world below. Lord, I swear there's no pain. I know there's no danger. That bright. to this podcast from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. Faith Bible Church is a Christ-centered Bible teaching ministry dedicated to bringing the good news of the gospel to the whole world. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And now for this week's message from Pastor Alan Battle. Today I'm reading selected verses from Proverbs and other books. Proverbs 12.26, the righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 13.20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 18.24, a person who has friends may be harmed by them, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Proverbs 22, verses 24 through 25. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. Proverbs 16:28 A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Proverbs 20:19. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, Therefore do not associate with a simple babbler. Proverbs 17:17 17, 17, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 25:17 Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Proverbs 25:20 20, Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs 27, 9. Ointment and perfume delight the heart. And the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-three. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Proverbs 29, 5. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. And finally, John 15, verse 13. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. This is the word of God.
1: So we're continuing our study in the wisdom literature of the Bible this morning. And although wisdom literature is not unique to Israel, the wisdom literature of the Bible is unique in its foundation. Uh, it, It roots itself in the God of the Bible. Yahweh, the first premise of this is the fear of the Lord, Yahweh, is the beginning of wisdom. So we're going to be looking at the books of Ecclesiastes and Job and Proverbs. um, And we began in Proverbs, and we're going to continue for the next few weeks in Proverbs. So far... (coughs) In chapters 1 through 9, we've seen several lengthy poems that are paving the way for the collection of individual proverbs like we just saw this morning um, that extend all the way through chapter 29. And those poems in chapters 1 through 9 are essentially an apologetic or an argument from a parent to a child as to why they should commit themselves to studying wisdom and to live by the wisdom found in this book. And uh, remember, we defined wisdom as the acquired learning that helps us to know what to do in any given situation. So the Bible doesn't tell us what decision to make in every circumstance, but it gives us the tools to make wise decisions. And today, we're going to begin a series of topical studies from proverbs dealing with many of the common areas of life and friendship is the first one. So friendship is particularly relevant today in our culture, uh, especially for millennials who are the largest demographic group by generation in our country. Uh, they are the first generation to be immersed in the digital world. Uh, they are often described as digital natives. And they've grown up with the internet, with mobile phones, with social media. And though they might be communicating with more people than previous generations, that doesn't mean that they have more friends. A recent study found that one in five millennials have no close friends. Zero. MD Links is a news service for physicians, and it reports that loneliness is, quote, the newest epidemic in America and now affects up to 47% of adults, double the number affected a few decades ago. And being lonely has negative health effects, both physical and mental. Uh, One study says that it increases the chances of premature death by 50%. On the other hand, the positive effects of friendship include the fact that challenges are easier to tackle when we have friends. Uh, rejection and disappointment are easier to handle when we're going through it. And friends help us stick to our goals. And, and I like this one. Having friends makes you more attractive. <laughs> The most famous friendship in the Bible is the friendship between Jonathan and David. David was a rising star in the court of King Saul, and Jonathan was the son of that king. And the Bible says that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And throughout David's long and troubled relationship with Saul, Jonathan remained a faithful friend. In fact, God in, in God's providence, Jonathan literally saved David's life from the murderous intentions of his father. So friends are important to have. And that's the first point. Out of all the relationships that we have, leaving our relationship with God aside for the moment, friendship is the most important how can I say that? Isn't your relationship with your parents more important or siblings or what about your spouse if you're married? Or what about your children if you are a parent? Aren't all those more important relationships than friends? Well, I say no. Why? Because as we mature, the kind of child, sibling, spouse, parent, that we are is shaped by the friends that we hang with. This is not to say that you can't have a friendship with relatives. You can. Spouses should be best friends, but friendship is over and above those family relationships. And nothing forms your character more than the company that you keep. So the Proverbs, which is primarily aimed at young men, says this in 12.26. The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. And then in verse uh, chapter 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So the first and very influential relationships that we all have are with our parents and our siblings. But as we mature, we begin to pull away because we want to be our own person, and rightly so. But as the English poet and preacher John Donne said, no man is an island. It's impossible not to be influenced by the people that we keep company with. And the path we choose is determined by our traveling companions. The innocent young man can soon become corrupted if he chooses the wrong ones. Madame Folly, you remember her from those poems? She's constantly tempting him with promises of pleasure and quick gain by associating with the wrong crowd. And it doesn't just apply to young men. Here in 1 Corinthians 15.33 a thousand years after Solomon the Apostle Paul gives the same advice to all Christians. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Could this be a a prophecy of the 70's British rock band by that name? Bad company till the day I die. Not really but I'm sure that some of their songs, though, did help corrupt the morals of uh, young men in that day. Proverbs lists several negative effects of keeping bad company. Uh, Bad company appeals to our fleshly nature, and peer pressure is a strong force. So Proverbs 22, 24 and 25 says... Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. The Bible has a lot to say about anger. Uncontrolled anger destroys both the lives of the perpetrator and his victims. And bad company can also ruin good relationships. 16.28 says, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. If someone wants to use you instead of support you as a friend, he will often isolate you from others who might see what's happening and might want to warn you off. This is a common theme in literature. Remember in The Lord of the Rings, King Theoden's treacherous advisor, Wormtongue. He put all these accusations into his master's head about the wizard Gandalf, who was actually his true friend. And another pitfall of a bad relationship is that your your reputation can be tarnished. Uh, None of us want all of our business out in the street. But if you hang with the wrong person, it will be. Look at verse 19 of chapter 20. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. Have you ever had a friend betray a confidence? Not much more hurtful things than that. But if bad friends corrupt us, wise friends help us grow. And this is why good friends are so important. Look at 2717. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Friends bring the best out of each other. There's a synergy there where the creation of the whole is greater than the simple sum of its parts. And this doesn't need to be limited to two people. It works great in small groups. Listen to C.S. Lewis uh, from his book, The Four Loves, on this topic. He says, In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Hence, true friendship is the least jealous of loves. Two friends delight to be joined by a third, and three by a fourth, if only the newcomer is qualified to become a real friend. And, you know, in its purest and most powerful form, friendship is really the fellowship of the saints. It's the process by which the body of Christ grows to its full measure, to the stature of Christ. So what about friendship in the church? <clears throat> There's the old saying that you can't choose your family, right? And the church is our family. So what if there are those in the church who are bad company? What do we do about that? Well, the apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15.11, I mean I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. Now here, the Apostle's talking about the principle of church discipline. It's a hard thing. But it doesn't mean that we kick people out of the church. What it means is that we don't forge close relationships with those who profess faith, but continue Living ungodly lives. It's impossible to have real fellowship with them. It means that we don't ignore unrepentant sin. It means that we don't wink at ungodly behavior. Jesus said in Matthew 18 that if you confront someone with their sin and they refuse to repent, then you should treat them as an unbeliever. Notice he doesn't say they are unbelievers. He says, treat them as an unbeliever. So do you shun them? No. How do you treat an unbeliever? You try to win them. The purpose of church discipline is that they might wake up and repent. Jesus says, if they listen to you, you have won your brother. That's the goal. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3.15, do not regard him as an enemy. But warn him as a brother. This isn't being a nitpicky sin police. This is for ongoing, blatant, unrepentant sin. And as Paul said in both 1 Corinthians 5 and in 1 Timothy 1, that in extreme cases of sexual immorality or teaching false doctrine, that these kind of people should be handed over to Satan to be disciplined. That sounds scary. I believe it's what Jesus meant in Matthew 18 when he said, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That whole passage is about discipline. So God, through his church, is turning them over to Satan's rule as the God of this world, and his rule is cruel. But like the prodigal son they will eventually wake up and return home. Now this raises another question. Can you be friends with an unbeliever? Well, there's a fine line here. We obviously are prohibited from joining in with sinful behavior like violence or theft or sexual immorality. All those things are mentioned in the book of Proverbs. But in the verses Immediately preceding the section that we just cited from 1 Corinthians about church discipline, Paul said this, verses 9 and 10. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers, or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. It's impossible not to be around sinners, right? Everybody's a sinner. Um, so if we're going to win the world for Christ, we have to associate with them. We must follow the example of Christ who was the friend of sinners. Wasn't He? I mean, that was one of His big accusations. Wow, you hang out with all these terrible people, Jesus. And By all means, make friends with unbelievers. As long as is it that it's not a relationship that's pulling you back into the world so now let's look at a, a few more features of true friendship first friendship is a unique relationship we have a lot of acquaintances but real friends are set apart in a unique a special way look at 1824 A person who has friends may be harmed by them, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's a difference between casual friends and true friends. True friends are the kind that I said are more important than family. Look at 1717. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. When you're in trouble... In most cultures in the world and throughout most of history, the family has to come to your rescue. They don't even have to like you. But if you're family, it's their duty to come to your rescue. But a true friend, he's there all the time. David's friend Jonathan was definitely closer than David's brothers were to him. Remember when David came to the battlefield to bring them some lunch, and he became jealous for God, and he wanted to defend Israel from Goliath. Well, David's brothers ridiculed him, and they attempted to shut him down. But Jonathan was David's biggest fan. He was his biggest cheerleader. First 1 Samuel 19.4 says, And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David because he has not sinned against you and because his deeds have brought good to you. Tim Keller says it this way A friend always lets you in and never lets you down. That's a good friend. And there's a unique satisfaction in that kind of friendship. Look at verse 20, chapter 27, verse 9. Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. Friendship is described here as sweet and delightful. This is the goodness of friendship. This is why people with friends are happier and healthier than people without them. We're designed by God to have these kinds of close relationships. Another feature of friendship is that it is completely voluntary. It's like grace. It's freely given. All of our other close relationships are beyond our choice. You don't choose who your parents are. You don't choose who your children are. Not many of us have the means to choose our neighbors or our boss, but we can choose our friends. In fact, the first proverb we saw today said just that. The righteous should choose his friends carefully. So it's something that we are urged to do. Having said that, though, we must also acknowledge that God is involved in the process, isn't he? It's the age-old dilemma of God's sovereignty versus man's free will. Again, C.S. Lewis says it well. He says, A secret master of ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who said to the disciples, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, You have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. The friendship is not a reward for your discrimination and good taste in finding another one. It is the instrument by which God reveals to each the beauties of all the others. Things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose, including the friendships that we have. Another feature of friendship is that it is shared Friendship has to be about a shared interest. Without that, there's only acquaintance. There's only coexistence. Friendship itself isn't the goal. It's the product of the shared experience. Lewis again says, That is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. According to Lewis, no friendship can arise unless there's something for the friendship to be about, a common interest like baseball or, or <clears throat> commitment to studying linguistics for, like he had with his friends, or serving the poor or anything that can be shared. Friendship arises when two or more companions have something in common that others don't share. Lewis said, Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. Then he goes on to say, Friendship arises out of mere companionship when two or more of the companions discover that they have in common some insight or interest or even taste which the others do not share and which till that moment each believed to be his own unique treasure or burden the typical expression of opening friendship would be something like this. What? You two? I thought I was the only one. So several years ago, Gina and I became friends with Pete and Carla. And we went to the same church for years, didn't know each other. But our friendship began one day when we were sitting together at an outdoor worship service, And Pete and I started talking about music, of all things. And uh, we we share the same tastes and the same enthusiasm for music. So our friendship began with that common interest. But as we grew and we shared our faith with one another, it continued to deepen. It also helps that our wives have so much in common— Pete says it's almost like we're married to the same woman. (laughs) Friendship is also careful. What do I mean by that? I mean that friends are in tune with each other's feelings. Here's a proverb that teaches us to take such care. 25.17 Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you, and hate you consideration is at the heart of a good friendship friends don't take advantage and they don't make the other unnecessarily uncomfortable and I have to admit I'm not the best at this I mean what's not to like about me you know the more the better right well my wife is much more sensitive to me (laughs) to this kind of thing, and sometimes she has to remind me. There's another proverb about how to be an insensitive friend. 2520. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Friends are not irritating. And again, I'm sometimes guilty of this. Uh, We were camping last week, and one of the little girls got a terrible nosebleed. And several of the ladies, the mom, the grandma, and the aunt, they rushed her to Gina so that she could take care of her. And I was standing just outside the trailer, and uh, I asked the guys, I said, how many women does it take to stop a nosebleed? (laughs) And um, it was funny to the guys, (laughs) not so much to the ladies or the little girl, um, because they could hear me, and I got rebuked later, um, and rightly so. And speaking of Gina, <clears throat> here 's a proverb that I learned to heed early in our marriage i didn 't get it on the slide, but it 's proverbs 27:14. Uh, it says, "If anyone loudly blesses his neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse." <clears throat> I often wake up singing. And my wife is not a morning person. <laughs> so, I'm not a, I, don't, I don't always do it, but I try. Okay. Or not to. And finally, friends are also to be candid. That is, they tell the truth, even if it's uncomfortable. You know, if we never say hard things, it's because we don't care enough to say the hard things. We care more about our personal comfort than our friend's well-being. Look at Proverbs 29.5. A man who flatters with his tongue spreads a net for his feet. It flatters his neighbor with his tongue. Um, <clears throat> I used to think that this meant that the flatterer was planning evil, that he was actually actively trying to do harm. Um, the net is means a trap that you lay to catch an animal. But I think it might simply be the unintended consequences of flattery, of not being candid. It, it may also mean that, that, that you're actively going after them. Um, but if, it, if all you do is say nice things to someone, then you're setting them up for failure. Failure. You're not warning them about the net that's about to be sprung. And a good friend will not be offended by such truth. They'll recognize the heart behind the candor. Look at 27.6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. We should care enough to have the courage to warn our friend of coming danger. If they continue in the wrong direction, it's going to hurt them. So, there are several features of godly friendship from the book of Proverbs. Let's use them. Let's use them together to forge closer friendships among one another here at Faith Bible Church. I've had some really good friends in the course of my life. And some of them are still around. Some of them are here. Some of them have drifted away. And some have even died. And although Tim Keller's definition is a great ideal, a friend always lets you in and never lets you down, who of us always and never It's not something that any of us can always live up to. And that means that there's still a longing in every human heart for that perfect friend. Well, allow me to introduce you to such a friend. His name is Jesus. And he said in John 15 13, There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I am no longer calling you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. Jesus is the perfect friend. He's the greatest friend with the greatest love. And he expressed that love by dying for you. So how do you become his friend? It says here that we have to do what he commands. Well, you say, I could never live up to that. Anyway, I thought the Bible said that salvation is by faith and not by works. But Jesus is talking about a very specific command here. And it is one that we can all obey. Look at the two verses, the, these next two verses, and uh, I think it'll make more sense to you. John six twenty eight and 29. Back. So then they said to him, what must we do? They're talking to Jesus. What, what, what must we do to accomplish the deeds God requires? Jesus replied, this is the deed God requires to believe in the one whom he sent. And then in 1 John 3.23, the Apostle writes, Now this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, of His Son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another just as He gave us the commandment. That's how you become God's friend, by believing, by putting your faith in Christ. Jesus is not only the perfect friend, he is the perfect, sinless Son of God. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And he always lets us in, and he never lets us down. And he is ever widening his circle of friends. Are you one of them? Let's pray. thank you Lord for the amazing privilege of being your friend or thank you that you've given us your word that we might learn and grow in our friendships that we might learn to become the friend that you are to us and that we need to be to others so Lord, we praise you we thank you for this time together today and we give you all the glory In Christ's name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the preaching of God's Word from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you and that the Word of God will fill your hearts and minds as you walk through this world. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would like to make a small donation to help defray the cost of this podcast, just click on the green Support Us button at the top of the webpage. Thank you.